Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.59 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 10th day of May 2023, and this is episode 723 of Bitcoin. And what do we got on deck for you today? Well, we got <clears throat> we got Luke Dash Jr.'s making noise about blocking ordinals. Okay, I warned you about this. It's not that I don't like Luke Dash Jr. I think he's, I think he's great. It's just, it's just that everybody is is so up in arms about ordinals that the the forking talk is beginning, all right? I also want to tell you about Noster Marketplaces, all right? And, and not like this isn't just a, a singular site. This is just in general about this concept of marketplaces through Noster. When I told you that Bitcoin and Lightning Network and Noster working as a trio can pretty much solve most of the problems, I'm not lying. I'm not lying. You got to claim your namespace, dude. Uh, BTC ownership is rising. So I guess uh, we'll find out more about that. Dan Weintraub's The Death of Trust. I'm going to be reading that one today. We'll also be taking out the trash. We've got some opinions on the meltdown in the crypto markets and all that stuff. Uh, Inflation numbers are in. They were released today and Apparently, we're all saved. Who knows? (laughs) We'll find out. Human Rights Foundation donation. I didn't bring that to you when I should have. Uh, This is a little belated, but it's. We're going to go through that. We'll find out who got donated to, how much you know, money the Human Rights Foundation is parsing out, and why. Well, yeah, it's going to be great. This one is going to be strange, though. Is Paxful back? Ray Youssef's uh, outfit that quote unquote closed down. There's some weird shit going on with Paxful, and we're, I'm going to tell you about that. And then Ernst and Young's Ethereum ESG blockchain BS. Uh, well, yeah, it's it's there. It's a thing. We're going to do it. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. It'll we'll we'll. We'll work through it together. So let's start with Maple Trade. He put out a uh, a note on Noster uh, yesterday, and it says, now "Listen up, Maple Trade is is my guy that that you go to for your maple syrup and your soap." So he says the following: For anyone that got a Mother's Day gift basket of my syrup and my sister's soap, I thank you. This was our first gift basket attempt. Please let me know how it shipped if you get a chance. Also, let me know what your mother slash wife thinks of the gift and also the products itself. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> Maple Trade 
is no longer taking orders for the Mother's Day basket because he cannot guarantee, uh, you know, timely shipping in time for Mother's Day. You know, because it's I, you know, he's if you're ordering in California, you know, from California, he's got to ship it from the east side of the United States. It's probably not going to get there. All right. So those orders are done. However, his maple syrup is good enough. It's good enough for me to continue to sing its praises because this stuff is fantastic and it's handmade. He's not ordering it like he's not like ordering it from another company and drop shipping it to you. He's making this himself and it's a lot of labor. In fact, <laughs> let's see. Uh, let me see if I can get the, the numbers. He's got 650 trees and he gets 8,000 gallons of sap and he makes that into 140 gallons of syrup. 8,000 gallons of sap. You want to do some math with me a little bit? Let's say 8,000 gallons. I'm do, I got my calculator up. Uh, times at least 7.7 pounds as a gallon of water. Uh, he's having to haul from 650 trees 61,600 pounds of liquid. 61,000 pounds plus 600 more pounds. That's 61,600 pounds that he's lugging. All right, that's, this is real work. This isn't easy stuff. So whenever you get his product, the maple syrup part portion of his product, you need to understand how much work went into it because then he's got to boil it all down. 8,000 gallons into 140 gallons of syrup. That's what he's got for sale. And I'd like you to try his syrup. It's really good. And he gives me a cut of the proceeds for proceeds for anything that I sell for him. And I want to sell more stuff for him because I'm having, I'm going to start monetizing this show. I, I'm, I've done this for long enough. I think I got enough street cred to be able to pull this off. But the point is that I don't, I really want plebs like you who have products and services for sale that are that your hearts are in the right place, your minds are in the right place, you're doing the thing to either have a side hustle or move a side hustle into like a your major portion of how you get money to buy food and clothes and have a house and all that kind of stuff. Those are the the I want that. That's what I want. And I started with Maple Trade. He also has a sister and his sister makes soap, and you can buy that too. So I will provide Maple Trades in pub for his Noster identity into today's show notes. Go DM him and ask him prices on his syrup and his sister's soap. Because just because he was selling stuff for Mother's Day doesn't mean that you still can't buy it. And honestly, I use it. I love it. The soap is great. The syrup is delicious. You will not be disappointed. And you want to support plebs. Please help support the circular economy by first supporting plebs. And then we'll move on from there. How's that? Okay, so now into the news. Let's dive in. Bitcoin developer calls to block ordinals. BRC20 tokens from the network. Oh, joy. This is the Luke Dash Jr. one from Decrypt. Navesh Rutsky is writing it. 
The meme coin and NFT trading phenomenon on Bitcoin caused by ordinals have led to a massive spike in transaction fees and blockchain congestion. Now, at least one developer has offered a solution. Luke Dash Jr., a leading Bitcoin co-contributor on GitHub, emailed other Bitcoin developers and miners asking them to implement spam filtration as a part of taproot transactions to block ordinals and BRC20 tokens. Quote, Action should have been taken months ago, he wrote. Spam filtration has been a standard part of Bitcoin Core since day one, end quote. The developer wrote that a change must be imposed either through a Bitcoin improvement proposal or as an update to the network's core client that node operators and miners run to validate transactions. We're heinously close to soft fork, hard fork talk here, ladies and gentlemen. Dash Jr. or Dasher uh, noted in the email that the filter could be implemented immediately as a bug fix and doesn't need to wait for the major release or soft fork. There it is. Bitcoin Core is a free and open source software client for the network that serves as the reference implementation for the Bitcoin protocol. Currently, the software is running the latest version 22.0 without any filter whatsoever. DeGod's NFT project founder, Frank, shared the email, which received harsh criticism from folks on Bitcoin Twitter, of course. One notable reply came from Washington Sanchez, the NFT project product lead at Kraken, who called Dasher's attempt to block the development a one-man jihad against ordinals. Quote, I doubt the other devs will take him seriously based on their precious comments that Bitcoin was working as expected if people are submitting valid transactions. Maybe he meant previous comments and not precious comments, but whatever. Uh, James Lobson, the CTO of CASA, refuted any claims that, uh, no, it's Jameson Lop, dude, not James Lobson. I'm pretty sure he's talking about Jameson Lop, the CTO of CASA, refuted any claims that Luke represents the entire developer community, replying, saying, quote, LOL at anyone who tries to claim that Luke is representative of anyone other than Luke. In a separate discussion on the public Bitcoin forum, bitcointalk.org, some members expressed dismay over using Bitcoin for purposes besides transferring value. However, an urgent need to add an ordinal filter was not evident. One developer suggested that, quote, it does seem that developers agree this is an important issue, but also that they're not actually going to do anything about it, end quote. Further quote, it's up to the rest of us to make layer two implementations in quote, they said. Okay, so Luke Dash Jr., if you don't know, has been a developer of the core software for a very long time. He's got he's got the street cred, right? And Jameson Lop saying, you know, something like starting off a, a reply with LOL is kind of not what I expect from Jameson Lop. However, he's got a point. See that that. The whole thing in a nutshell, honestly, can be summed up from Cali, C-A-L-L-E. And that's, Cali's a, a good name in the space. But Cali says in a note on Noster, I can't possibly understand how otherwise smart people can seriously believe 
that they can censor transactions they don't like. You know, like BRC20s and inscriptions. Want to play cat and mouse? It takes 20 minutes to circumvent any fix. Should we now all soft fork whenever you propose a new fix? It's not even a moral question at this point. It's most likely anger that makes people come up with stupid or even dangerous ideas like this. Stop pretending you can do anything about it. Proposing forks based on your feelings is dangerous because it increases centralization. I 100% agree with Callie. I don't have to like BRC20 stuff and and or and inscriptions using ordinals and th- th- those are not anywhere close to the end of this path because once the genie's out of the bottle we say that about bitcoin itself all the time well you, genie's out of the bottle you can't put it back in ah, how's that medicine taste now because we can't put that genie back into the bottle once casey rod armor really did the thing it opened up a whole hornet's nest worth of stuff now you don't have to like it. I'm not saying that you need to like the monkey picks on you know monkey BRC twenties and inscriptions and rock NFTs and you don't have to. I don't. I hate them. I think it's a it's it's just a an inordinate amount waste of time. It's just it's awful. But it's part of what Bitcoin allows. If Bitcoin allows it. It's going to be done no matter no matter what you want, no matter what your feelings are, and no matter how much street cred you've got. If you were around the space in, you know, at the end of 2016 to 20 into 2017, you understand what I'm about to say. If you were not there, let me try to line it out for you. <clears throat> there was a whole group of people that were very wealthy not only did they have a shit ton of street cred as far as bitcoin development and i don't know their standing in the community and what for whatever that's worth but they also had a lot of mining capacity bitcoin mining capacity and they all sat around a table and they all wrote this letter and they were going to increase the block size and introduce segwit and it was that was that was just the way it was going to be and nobody had shit to say about it except for all the node runners who said no and we weren't going to run any software that had anything to do with a block size increase didn't mind segwit we all wanted that but we didn't want a block size increase segwit was going to do that for us anyway and the shit hit the fan and they had to retract all, I mean, all the, we're talking like 20 signatures from like Jihan Wu, Roger Ver, I mean, all these at the time, all the, oh, and uh, Brian, uh, oh, Silbert, Barry Silbert was in, involved in that, all that whole thing. The guy from DCG that apparently owes like a billion dollars to somebody or something like a hundred billion. I don't even remember how much money that dude owes, but he's the, the grayscale Bitcoin trust guy. All these guys, they all have street cred. And they all got told to go pound sand. And now we got Luke Dash Jr. who's got street cred. He understands the system. He's developed for Bitcoin for years. And honestly, if he doesn't get it his way, he very well may just bail. That may be the next thing you see out of this entire ordinal debacle is that Luke Dash Jr. says, you know what? I don't want to develop on Bitcoin anymore. 
I'm mad. I want to go away. And, but I, I don't expect that he'll fork it. I don't know though. I, I don't know. But getting this close to, it, it just feels, it feels like 2016 a little bit, not a whole lot, but there's some, it, it, it's, it's got the color. So watch this thing very carefully, how people react to it and what they start doing. And make sure that you spend some time time trying to align whether or not what they think Bitcoin should be is an align is in alignment with what Bitcoin actually is. And then focus on yourself. What do you think it should be? And is that in alignment with what Bitcoin is, what it allows? Because sometimes we find ourselves that we think we're a proponent of Bitcoin and we're not. And we got to be really careful about that kind of thing. But there's a lot of people that don't care because Bitcoin ownership is rising as more people hedge currency devaluation and failing banks. This is by EZ over at No Bullshit Bitcoin. That's nobsbitcoin.com. Ownership of digital currencies in Turkey was the highest in the world at 27.1%, followed by Argentina at 23.5% well above global crypto ownership rate estimates or estimated at 11.9% according to data from research firm GWI. The lira and peso have been plunging and are at record lows. Argentina's peso trades around 464 per dollar on the black market, which is more than double the official exchange rate of 222. Oh, a short row of ducks. Trading volume for the USDT Turkish Lira pair reached a multi-month high last week, driven by the weakening of the Turkish currency in the upcoming landmark presidential and parliamentary elections. Much of the safe haven buying has been of stable coins such as USD coin or USDC and Tether USDT. Meanwhile, in the United States, nearly half of Americans are anxious about the safety of the money they have in accounts at banks and other financial institutions, Gallup research shows. A total of 48% of United States adults say they are concerned about their money, including 19% who are very concerned and 29% who are moderately worried. At the same time, 30% are not too worried and 20% are not worried at all. The latest readings are higher than those recorded amidst the peak of the 2008 financial crisis. Quote, in September of that year, shortly after the collapse of Lehman Brothers, which remains the largest bankruptcy filing in United States history, 45% of United States adults said that they were very or moderately worried about the safety of their money, end quote. According to Goldman Sachs Family Office Investment Insight Report 2023, there are more family offices currently invested in cryptocurrencies than in 2021. 26%, which is up from 16%, with the most cited rationale being their belief in the power of blockchain technology. All right, so aside from that last part and the um, inordinate amount, you know, usage of the word blockchain and crypto, um, there's, some good, there's some good reason to uh, be you know, moderately hopeful because we are not out of the second part of the hurricane that started with the Terra Luna thing yet. I honestly think we're kind of getting close, but I was thinking last night, 
what's the signal for me that we've got past all of the storm? And that's going to be Barry Silbert's digital, was it digital currency group or DCG, which is the parent company, umbrella company of Genesis, as well as the uh, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. And, and he's got like a whole ton of shitcoin trust inside of Grayscale. So you take that all together and you got Barry Silbert <clears throat> with the largest, I think he's like the largest amount of Bitcoin exposure than FTX, Alameda, Terra Luna, all those guys don't hold a candle to what happens if Barry Silbert's outfit goes down. So one of two things, well, okay, maybe one of three things. It'll either, they'll either file, file for bankruptcy or something else will happen where they're gonna be completely okay. I honestly don't believe the second in the second one. There's the middle ground, which means that we just won't find out for so long that we'll all forget about it. That's always a possibility. But it's looking pretty dicey for Barry. And it's been looking pretty dicey for Barry ever since this whole Terra Luna thing started. Actually, it's been looking dicey for Barry Silbert's outfit since the native asset value of Bitcoin is trading at a discount as far as the GT or what GBTC, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, whatever the GBTC part is, has been trading at a huge discount. So it's not the people that bought in like to the GBTC trust is there, they've lost, if they, if they were able to sell and get rid of their shares of that trust, they would, they would not be making their money. Uh, they, so on paper, a lot of people have lost millions of dollars. I mean, hundreds, well, in total, you don't even want to know the number because it's really bad. And that's why I think that if GBTC, Grayscale as a whole, DCG, Genesis, if all of that files for bankruptcy, I think that will be the marker that the end of this particular storm is coming to an end. And there won't be much left after that. So it's not that I want Barry to fail. I think he's done some really bad shit and he's caused a lot of people a lot of heartache and pain, but I don't want to wish death or, you know, bad things to happen to another person. But I kind of hope that they do go down so that at least we will have a marker and say, okay, the trash has been taken out and we're all done with this. So let's get back to BTC ownership. Now here, I, I, I think it was yesterday that I told you about bull Bitcoin and the ability to buy Bitcoin at a Canadian post office. If you're not in Canada and you're not a Canadian, then you probably can't, you won't be able to do this because bull Bitcoin is a Canadian company servicing uh, Canadians in the great white North of Canada. 
And we have a report, a boots on the ground report through stacker.news, that's stacker news, but it's stacker.news. A guy named Nilma, G-N-I-L-M-A says, I saw the announcement this morning that Bull Bitcoin was launching non-KYC purchasing. Being a Canadian and someone who insists on stacking non-KYC sats, I was very excited to see the news. Naturally, I went out to my local Canada post and tested it out. It worked like a charm. Allow me to outline my experience. I had an account on Bull Bitcoin, but I never used it because it was a NIM account with only a NIM email and a fake name, and I could not fund it with Fiat back then. I logged into my account to get my QR code, which was very easy to find. I printed out the QR code and made my way to Canada Post. I paid Canada Post in person with cash, and I got the email notification that the money is in my bull Bitcoin account 10 minutes after I paid. I then proceeded to log into my bull Bitcoin account and made a Bitcoin purchase over Lightning. The trade went through without any issues, and the Bitcoin I just bought is now in custody on my Lightning node. Overall great experience, completely non-KYC, full self-custody on the Bitcoin side, one very minor thing I wish was changed was the load hub name on the receipt from Canada Post. It says bull Bitcoin right on the receipt, which is blatantly obvious to the Canada Post clerk what is being paid for. Maybe bull Bitcoin could put their Canadian business number, I mean their business registration is public knowledge anyway, instead just for better OPSEC. But that's a minor point and probably a non-issue for most people. In terms of fees, there was a flat fee of $3 or three and a half Canadian dollars, which is paid to Canada Post for each deposit up to 500 CAD and 395 CAD for each deposit from 500 to 999 uh, CAD and 99 cents. That means the more you deposit, the lower the fee becomes in percentage terms. Bull Bitcoin charges a separate flat fee of 2% per trade as stated in the announcement. So keep those fees in mind when planning or making your deposits and purchases. I've been buying non-KYC sats for over a year on BISC and RoboSats. The problem with them on the CAD side is that Canadian dollar liquidity is shit. Canadian dollar offers few and rare and a lot of times they are priced much higher above market price. I've tried posting office offers to buy Bitcoin with CAD, but those take quite some time for a peer to accept that offer, and it is by no means on demand. Also, platforms like BISC and RoboSats usually use Interact eTransfer, a quick peer-to-peer bank transfer, as the fiat payment rail, which exposes the buyer's full legal name to the seller. Not to mention, the bank still has a record of all the payments, even though they don't know what the payments were for. I think I will be using bull Bitcoin to stack along with other P2P options that I've been using. My main concern with centralized exchanges is that government capture is always possible. And with the way things are going these days, it seems government capture is eventually inevitable. I still believe building out a shared liquidity pool P2P exchange protocol with competing clients on top of it is the most resilient and could provide the best user experience. Meanwhile, Hopefully Trudeau doesn't shut this down too quickly and more Canadians can get more non-KYC sats. Thank you very much, Bull Bitcoin, for bringing this to Canadians. <clears throat> so it works. Uh, brought it to you yesterday. A guy's already tested it out. Totally works. Everybody's fine. 
This shit works. If you're in Canada, this is the way to buy Bitcoin, non-KYC, get it while it's hot. Bull Bitcoin, go get that done. Now, Dan Weintraub and the death of trust. As institutions erode, Bitcoin is our only hope. This is out of Bitcoin Magazine. Recently, I've been thinking a good deal about Balaji Srinivasan's $1 million bet that Bitcoin would reach $1 million in June, which he recently conceded. His apparent hyperbole with regard to imminent U.S. dollar hyperinflation and his musings about digital lockdowns. It all sounds a bit far-fetched to me. On this score, he reminds me of Peter Schiff, a man who for decades has told us the sky is falling and that the world will end as fiat currencies all collapse. A man who claims intellectual superiority over the fools at the Federal Reserve. Meanwhile, and generally speaking, the global economy hums along and collapse appears, at least for the time being, to be the stuff of dystopian clickbait on YouTube. I, for one, try to eschew conspiracy thinking because it feels neurologically indulgent to me. In simpler words, those who peddle in conspiracy theories do so because it gets them and their followers off. Meltdown masturbation, if you will. By way of example, the wild-eyed belief that the United States government used the COVID-19 lockdowns as a trial run for further repression reeks of paranoia and a desperate quest for making some kind of dopamine-producing meaning out of a rather bleak moment in time. Crazy town, really, but good fodder for the production of adrenaline-inducing catastrophe porn. Yes, I am skeptical of prognostications of impending doom, but that said, there's an underbelly to such thinking that reveals a far more troubling dynamic, a, dy a dynamic that, driven by the exponential age in which it exists, is fast on the rise. And this dynamic will be far more destructive, far more catastrophic than the supposed collapse of fiat or the coming of a global banking crisis could ever be. We are entering an age in which all trust is dying. And with the end of trust comes the end of everything. Sure, I may think that Srinvansen and all of the other gloom and doom the end is nigh purveyors have in some manner and to some degree lost their grips, but there's something quite revealing, not simply in the power of their musings, but in the reality that it reveals in the attention and excitement it attracts. You see, no one trusts anything or anyone anymore. And that utterly terrifies me. The list of institutions that we increasingly mistrust is well endless, and the depth and breadth of such distrust grows daily. I'm not sure that I need to provide the reader with an in-depth analysis of our collective loss of trust in everything, and so, in the interest of brevity, here is the abridged version. Track the numbers and you will see that trust in government is at all-time lows and continues to crash. Whether it's because our leaders are actually are dishonest, self-serving, greedy, power-hungry, incipient lobbyist ghouls, or whether it's because that's how they are portrayed in the media, government officials, and institutions are roundly and profoundly distrusted. An ever-diminishing minority trusts law enforcement. Perhaps because such a minority either has relatives who serve on the police force or because their own power is buoyed by the machinations of the policing and legal systems. For the most part, Americans seem to view police officers as former high school misfits who magically discovered expressions of sweet revenge in being able to bully the rest of us. 
Add to this the widespread corruption that permeates every nook and cranny of law enforcement and of our justice system, <coughs> the Supreme Court, <coughs> and it's no wonder that F the police is a popular cultural refrain. Interestingly, fewer and fewer people trust the so-called mainstream media. So few, in fact, that there actually isn't a mainstream media anymore. Pretty much all media has become an expression of ideological vitriol, a theatrical dance aimed at capturing a larger market share of the neurologically dispossessed, a cynical beast birthed and nurtured to line the coffers of the men and women who captain these galactic founts of misinformation. Few trust our public school systems anymore. What was once viewed as a virtuous institution, an endeavor of the highest good, public education has been summarily devoured by every possible ideologically propelled interest group. The vomit that has followed has painted a picture of public education as rife with lazy teachers teaching knucklehead kids. I could go on, from corrupt corporations and their corrupt CEOs to the self-serving, self-righteous, and self-aggrandizing leaders of organized labor, from duplicitous, woke, and censorship-informed activists touting the need for correct pronoun adherence to the reactionary and manipulative religious leaders looking to return the nation to the wonderful patriarchies of the 1950s. Trust is vanishing into the very ether which these individuals stoke their fears and solidify their self-concerted narratives. But wait, it gets better. For now, superimposed over this already bleak landscape, say hello to chat GPT, to deep fake technology, to central bank digital currencies, bid an open-hearted welcome to Trust's Final Frontier, a world in which discerning truth from falsehood becomes virtually impossible. What a dumpster of a world. What's to be done? Enter Bitcoin. <laughs> I have written several papers. I like to call them books because it makes me feel smart and I have even published them on Amazon about Bitcoin, extolling the virtues of this quite extraordinary technology. In all of those pieces, I have asked, nay begged, that we have some imagination when considering our Bitcoin future. I will go even further here. Bitcoin is our only hope in an increasingly trustless world. For within the Bitcoin protocol lies the answer to all of the conundrums posed by a trustless world. The ultimate answer is verification of truth. Hear me out. To begin with, when I, uh, when I suggest that we have some imagination, I'm not actually asking for all that much. The boxes in which we live, the lenses through which we view reality have evolved time and time again. It wasn't all that long ago that we believed the earth was the center of the universe, that humans would never fly, that computers were the providence of NASA. Well, things have changed and they have changed quickly. The public internet was born around 30 years ago, give or take. Now look at us. It's almost too hard to imagine what the next 10 years will bring. So why Bitcoin? Why is this relatively straightforward technology the answer to the impending doom we all face if we're unable to prime and restart our national and international trust engine? It's simple, because Bitcoin is the truth. On the most basic level, the Bitcoin protocol verifies each and every transaction that takes place on chain. No one is in control. No one's word needs to be taken as fact. The truth is manifest and auditable on the blockchain itself. Countless entirely objective nodes make falsifications of the record an impossibility. Bitcoin is thus an inviolable, immutable 
incontrovertible truth. Have some imagination. What if, just what if, the Bitcoin network in time becomes the base layer of this thing we call the internet? What if all data that passes through this network is verified and scoured for falsehood by the soon-to-be billions of verifying nodes? Nodes that become native to the devices that we employ for all of our communication and social-slash-virtual interactions. And what if more and more people, in an effort to believe, abandon the cynical and exploitative and fetid digital world that has evolved to date and instead join a network of unassailable truth? You see, the promise of Bitcoin is not that it serves as sound money in an unsound monetary universe. The promise is that it births a banking system that is devoid of scammy, fraudulent middlemen. No, the promise is far, far more profound. The promise of Bitcoin is that it slowly devours the very beast that gave birth to its need. Trust is a human imperative, a social imperative. Without trust, chaos ensues. In a world in which belief in things must always be questioned, mental health suffers, governments fail, and anarchy rises lawlessness and violence become the norm rather than the exception in a trustless world isolation and hoarding are seen as virtues rather than maladaptations in a trustless world everything falls apart institutions crumble warlords and demagogues emerge on an ever-rising tide of uncertainty and fear we are moving toward such a future toward such a world bitcoin is our only hope in Bitcoin, there exists the possibility that trust can slowly be reestablished, not based upon the words and deeds of men, but instead on a universal digital protocol that sifts through the mire and always, without prejudice, arise at the truth. We must have the imagination to believe in this possibility. This is what makes Bitcoin a beacon of hope, a ray of light permeating the haze of a creeping fog of surrender. I hodl Bitcoin thus. I preach the gospel of Bitcoin because I dare to hope for my great-grandkids in a world community governed by truth, verified by benevolent objectivity, a world in which trust forms the very core of our existence. So to Balaji and Schiff and all the other catastrophians, I say perhaps you are right. But the truth remains. The only way out of this existential death spiral is through a rebirth of trust and only Bitcoin realized to its highest and most majestic potential can provide this. Just imagine. All right, so that's Dan Weintraub. I agree with his views on Bitcoin here. That's clear, that's pretty clear. He's got a really good take on Bitcoin. But this, evisceration of conspiracy theorists and the possibility that oh my god you know what was done during covid okay was not a conspiracy theory that was actually done right i mean it sounds to me like this is a guy who if we didn't have bitcoin in common I wouldn't hang out with Dan Weintraub at all. Not that he would hang out with me at, at any given you know time. He's Dan Weintraub. He's you know rather okay. He's rather famous. I get that, but he's just not. If it wasn't for the connection that we both have through the shelling point that is Bitcoin, I wouldn't read anything from Dan Weintraub because I kind of know these. I don't know. He's just not. He just. 
he's just not the guy that I'd want to go get a beer with. But that's the point now, isn't it? We do have a shelling point. I don't believe, I mean, I've read some of the other stuff that Dan Weintraub writes and I think it's kind of drivel. And he's just like, oh, we really, you know, how dare you not trust the media? Well, how dare the media betray us time and time again? How dare you not trust the government? Well, how dare the government betray us time and time again? He seems to like these institutions. And it's not just in this writing, it's in other writings as well. He's not wrong about the loss of trust, but the fact that he's moaning about it means that he's somebody that I'm just not going to go get a beer with. But I will go get a beer with him because he believes pretty much the exact same thing about Bitcoin that I do. Bitcoin becomes a shelling point between two people that would not normally meet. We would not normally see eye to eye about things. And yet here I am reading a piece from Dan Weintraub 40% of which I wholeheartedly disagree with, except for his views on Bitcoin, in which case we've got common ground. So even Dan missed this. I can trust Dan because we have a common ground. We have a shelling point. It doesn't mean that I have to agree with him, but I think that I know him well enough just because of the shelling point that Bitcoin has become for many of us. I could trust him with my property, probably. I could probably trust him to pick up the tab at the bar, or he could trust me to not steal his shit. You know, I mean, not not seeing where we're at and how Bitcoin engages our lives is, in my opinion, something that we're all missing. We talk about Bitcoin as a shelling point, but do we really know what that means? For those of you who don't know what a shelling point is, it's, it's the place that that it's the place that represents common ground that you end up on, no matter no sort of as it's it's hard to it's it really is hard, hard to describe. Generally speaking, they always use the clock at uh, uh, Grand Central Station. If you're going to go to New York City. And you've got a friend in New York City and your friend doesn't know you're coming or your friend maybe knows you're coming, but somehow or another, you don't get to tell them when you're going to be there. Uh, they just know that you're going to be there sometime this week. Uh, but they, you, like for whatever reason, let's like say all the phone lines went down. Let's just say all the phone lines went down. Um, and you're in the middle of that phone call and all your friend knows is that you're going to be in New York City and then... They don't know where to meet you, right? So the shelling point is 12 noon, Grand Central Station at the clock that's in the middle, the big clock that's in the middle of everything, right? That's the best place that you're going to have a shot at being able to, you know, find your friend. It doesn't mean that it'll work. It just means that most people say when asked the question, if you were going to be, if you needed to meet somebody and they knew you were coming and you knew you were going to be there but you weren't able to set a time and a place, where would be the most probable place in New York City that you would meet? People say 12 noon at the clock at Grand Central Station. That's a shelling point, okay? But the shelling point here, it doesn't have to be a time and a place. It's a constructive set of ideals or mores, morals, ethics, you name it, man, or just, you know, shared endeavors, these kinds of things. So me and Dan, 
even though I disagree with most of his political standpoints, on this one, we have a shelling point. And like, what, what are the, what's one of the things that I completely disagree with Dan about? It's when he talks about this, the wonderful patriarchies of the 1950s. Well, I don't know, Dan, were you an adult in 1950? Do you know anything about what actually occurred in the 1950s short of watching Leave It to Beaver reruns that informs you what was actually going on with the quote unquote wonderful patriarchies of the 1950s? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think you were in your 20s. I don't think you were a young adult in the 1950s. So I don't think any of us have any real clue outside of I Love Lucy, uh, Leave It to Beaver, Fathers know, Knows Best, uh, and what's the other one? Oh, that was around that time. Dick Van Dyke Show, things like that. Things that were filmed. Is that really where you're getting your information from, from where, what the wonderful patriarchies looked like in the 1950s? I, I, I don't think we actually know what those looked like, short of talking to somebody at length and in detail that was alive during the 1950s of what was actually going on at the family level, who was calling the shots, was it, was it really just father knows best? Or, and this is what I actually believe, if you crossed your wife in the 1950s, there's a good chance that you probably get, might be getting popped or at least told to sit down and, and, and shut up. I don't think that it was always the case that women didn't have anything to say about their families. Of course I could be wrong. Why? Because I wasn't alive as an adult in the 1950s. None of us alive today really have a clue of what's going on in the 1950s. So there, me and Dan completely disagree. I just disagree insofar that he thinks he knows what was going on. But that doesn't mean that we can't meet in the middle when it comes to something like Bitcoin. All right. So uh, Marathon Digital is next up on the list. Marathon Digital CEO Crypto Crash has cleaned out unsavory operators. I'm calling this piece taking out the trash. Stephen Graves from Decrypt. The crypto winter has helped clean out unsavory operators in the industry, Marathon Digital's chief executive has said. Speaking at the Financial Times Crypto and Digital Assets Summit, Fred Thiel compared last year's market upheaval to the dot-com boom, which saw an initial hype cycle give way to a commercialization phase. Quote, I think this period of stress that the crypto market has gone through is cleaning out a lot of unsavory operators, the executive whose company operates Bitcoin mining rigs said, quote, it's also forcing the regulators to react, which otherwise they would have been too slow to do, end quote. He went on to praise the regulation efforts of the EU, the UK, Hong Kong, Singapore, and the UAE, and said that the United States is kind of a laggard in all this. Quote, eventually we'll catch up, and I think we'll eventually have a global regime, he said. Oh, joy. Another factor contributing to a more commercialized crypto industry, Thiel said, will be higher interest rates, making investors more risk-averse. Quote, you have to realize that when money was cheap and free, risk assets were very attractive. We're going to be in a period here for a number of years where effective interest rates will be 4%. 
And so people are going to need to evaluate these assets in a different way. Last year's high profile collapse or crypto collapses have had knock on impacts on the rest of the crypto sector with the number of firms that have gone bust continuing to grow. Exchange Bitrix became the latest example yesterday when it filed for, yeah, chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. Speaking at the same conference on Tuesday, Blockchain Association CEO Kristen Smith quipped that it was quote, probably a good time for a bankruptcy attorney. Like Teal, she said there could be positive side effects from the route of crypto firms arguing it was healthy to clean up bad management and that there would be opportunities for other players to buy up parts of collapsed firms. Quote, I think this is a healthy part of capitalism, right? She said, oh, for God's sakes. If, quote, if there was a firm that was mismanaged, we can find a way to put the pieces back together or separate the pieces and divide them up. Oh yes, divide and conquer. So taking out the trash. Now, he's right. He's, he's right. This is taking out the trash. This is cleaning up. A, but there were so many bad actors in this space. But what I think he, I think he has a misguided view on the effectiveness of how much trash was actually taken out, i.e., and I, like I said, I don't want to call him a piece of trash, but Barry Silbert is not exactly the best actor in the space. He's, the, he's honestly, it's the last domino that needs to fall. DCG, Grayscale, Genesis, that shit, it all needs to burn to the ground. That's the last domino to fall. Without... DCG going away and itself declaring bankruptcy across its umbrella of companies, then we're not going to be out of this. And even if, does that mean that we've finally taken out all the trash? Okay, let's say that we've taken out a lot of the trash. We've cleaned up our environment quite a bit. And then the next round of campers comes into the campsite and throws their empty beer cans around. It will happen we will continuously have to take out the trash. It took years to clean up the dot-com thing. And what happened after the dot-com crash? More bad actors entered the space. And then they got cleaned up. And then more bad actors entered the space. As long as the space will allow bad actors to operate and they find it lucrative to do so, then there will be bad actors in any space including the United States government. But that's another story. We've got numbers to run. CNBC Futures and Commodities breaking. Representative George Santos pleads not guilty to money laundering and wire fraud charges. Apparently he's in federal custody. I... Just, I mean, he's like the uh, Republican representative for the state of New York, I believe. People have been trying to get this guy for a while now and looks like he's under federal custody, according to CNBC. I don't really give a shit. <laughs> Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Independent, Green Party. I just, they're all, they can all just get flushed down the toilet for all I care. But oil 
getting flushed down the toilet a little bit today. We got West Texas Intermediate down over a point and a half to 72.54. Brent North Sea down one and a third to $76.37. Natural gas taking the big kick to the crotch over three points to the downside, $2.19 per thousand. Gasoline is the only energy thing going up at half a point to the upside. You're looking at $2.50 gas. Gold down a quarter of a point to $2,038.50. Silver is down over a point. Platinum is up three quarters of a point. Copper is down a point and a half. Palladium is up over two points. Ag is fully mixed. Our biggest winner today is going to be sugar, 1.72% to the upside. Biggest loser is soybeans. Oh, for all you soy boys out there, 0.72% to the downside. I got live cattle down a half, lean hogs down a quarter, feeder cattle down almost a half. Dow is down a half point. S&P is up, but barely 0.13% to the upside. NASDAQ is up three quarters of a point, and the S&P mini is down 0.13%. Real money kind of recovering a little bit, but then it didn't. I don't know. Let me refresh this page just to make sure. Yeah, it recovered a little bit, but then it's back down to uh, $27,450.39 after 327,000 Bitcoin exchanged hands in the last 24 hours. Average transaction value is 0.51 BTC. And you guessed it, median transaction value is 0.000079 BTC or $2.17. Block times are very low, nine minutes and four seconds. Hopefully some of that hash rate came online to take out the trash. I got 2.27 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 361 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Uh, BitInfo Charts is showing a 3.85% drop in hash rate, bringing us back down to 340 exahashes per second. Doge, eh, Doge is representative of all the shitcoin field, and it is uh, sitting at 7.2 United States pennies. I got a three, nope, $531.3 billion market cap. That's 3.89% of gold's market cap. You may now only purchase 13.5 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,369,330.71 of, and 5,358.6 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $147 million. Uh, we have 73,100 payment channels that we know about. 65.4% of all network uh, Lightning Network is running over Tor. Looks like we have a negative 1.4% estimated difficulty change to occur on May the 8th, 2020, 18th, 2023. Mempools are still packed and stacked, brothers and sisters. We got... 194 blocks carrying 350,000 unconfirmed, mostly bullshit transactions uh, to waiting to clear. We've got a low priority of 80 Satoshis per V-byte, high priority of 97 Satoshis per V-byte, which is about 300 and no, 300, $3.85. So there you go. Now, Boostagrams, I have only two today. I'm Falling in the polls. I'm, I'm falling on the charts. Falling star, baby. Falling star. But Pies is helping me out with 250 Satoshis. Says, excellent show. 
Love your breakdown and takes on Bitcoin and life. Thank you, Pies. I hope your pies are delicious. Everything Satoshi with 100 sats says, Bitcoin in Africa is now mainly on Lightning. That's very correct. And Binance getting into the game is huge. However, Gotatso is a great developer that created Machankura, I cannot pronounce these names, <laughs> a means to send sats offline without the internet. I made a clip uh, on Fountain of Saifedean talking about it on his podcast, check it out. That has a potentially faster rate of adoption and greater use case than should uh, that should be touched on. Yeah, I, I, I agree. That's Lightning is going to explode. The only problem is, is that opening new channels right now is being superseded by, well, idiocy on the blockchain. I get where Luke Dash Jr. is coming from. I get it. It's just not going to work. Okay, so you can, we can cry all we want, but we got to figure out a way to deal with this stuff. And that does not mean soft forks and rules and centralizing and filtering. It, people are going to do what people are going to do. So the only way we can really do it is don't buy the, don't buy inscriptions. Just don't do it. And don't get into the hype that other people's inscriptions that they want to sell to you for, you know, a larger amount than what they inscribed it for or what they bought it off of somebody else for. Don't pay it. Just don't buy it. Disincentivize the system and the system will evaporate. That's all I got to say about that. And that's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Inflation is your destination. Coindesk starts us out with this one from Stephen Alfer. United States CPI inflation falls to 4.9% in April. Bitcoin rises above 28,000. The Federal Reserve last week suggested it could pause its long series of rate hikes, even as inflation remains well above its 2% target. The annual United States inflation rate slowed to 4.9% in April from 5% in March and versus economists forecast for 5%. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, Consumer Price Index report Wednesday morning. The price of Bitcoin rose more than 1% to just above 28,000 in the minutes following the news. For the month of April, the CPI rose 0.4% against expectations for 0.4% and versus 0.1% in March. The core CPI, which strips out, you know, food and energy costs, rose 0.4% in April versus forecast of 0.4% and March's 0.4% advance. The annual core CPI rate in April was 5.5% versus forecasts for 5.5% and March's 5.6%. At its last meeting earlier in May, the United States Federal Reserve's Federal Open Market Committee, the FOMAC, indicated it's considering at least a pause in its historic run of rate increases that seen the central bank take the benchmark Fed funds rate from about 0% in early 2022 to the current targeted range of 5% to 5.25%. While that fast pace of rate hikes hasn't succeeded in bringing inflation down to the Fed's 2% target, the central bank also has its eyes on the growing troubles in the United States banking system, which has led to the failure of a number of regional lenders, most recently First Republic Bank. 
For the moment, traders are betting this morning's very modest moderation in inflation might give the Fed room for easier monetary policy. The United States 10-year Treasury yield has declined 7 basis points to 3.45% and the 2-year 9 basis points to 3.94%. So, okay, so there's talk on the street that at the next FOMAC that Powell is going to lower interest rates. That will not happen. I kind of don't think he'll raise them this next round but he's going to keep them flat. That's my prediction. He's not going to lower interest rates. That will show weakness. I've been right about this before. I think I'm right about it again. He has breathing room to not be weak by pausing the rate hike, which means keeping it where it is right now. And that I think is exactly what's going to happen at the next FOMAC meeting. And speaking of inflation, although this is a good kind of inflation, Noster events have surpassed 100 million. Yeah, that's right. All right. So 100 million separate Noster events have occurred since people have been keeping track of it, at least. And this is actually from primal.net. I've been using this for a little while. Uh, it's, it looks pretty slick. Uh, a lot of the features like zapping and uh, uh, DMs are not enabled, but the interface looks really slick. And what I really love about it is the explore page. You know, you see number of users, number of public keys, number of zaps, the amount of BTC that's been zapped, the amount of public notes, reposts, reactions, and of course, all events, which at this time is 100,073,549. And you can see all your followers and try go try it out. Go try it out. Works like anything else. Use like, you know, get Albi or some other extension to manage your private public key pair and sign in uh, with that uh, to primal.net and go check it out because it's uh, honestly, it looks, looks kind of cool. Looks kind of cool. Uh, what else we got here? Oh, speaking of Noster, Noster marketplaces, what are they? Shay Collar or Kohler, I don't exactly remember how you pronounce that, from the Bitcoin manual has a good take on what are Nostra Marketplace clients. Okay, so what are marketplace, Nostra Marketplace clients? Social media allows us to connect with friends, family, and even strangers with common interests. As more people begin to congregate on these websites, brands and marketers like me took it upon ourselves to ensure that social media users couldn't simply have fun. Users had to also see ads and be strategically prompted to buy something. Social media marketers and brands employ a type of pester power like a nagging toddler pulling at your coattails to look at the latest toy or sugary candy. The modern day social media feed is but three thumb scrolls away from the very next ad. But there's needs to be a balance between ads and content or users will just see right through it. Social media can quickly devolve into social media where it becomes less about conversation and engagement and more about who can shout the loudest to get your attention like a 1950s paper boy. I was with the 1950s today, for God's sakes. 
which is basically what Instagram has become today. Yeah, like the 1950s paper boy. Despite how annoying ads and influencers are, social selling is big business and will continue. Social selling is when an individual or a brand uses a social media channel to connect with prospects, develop a connection with them, and engage with potential leads. The tactic can help businesses reach their sales targets. Social selling is a modern relationship building and customer profiling process. As you post content and engage with users on a certain topic, you attract followers interested in learning about it, staying up to date on the latest trends and possibly having a strong buyer's interest. As you build up a following, you can add monetization style posts into your content strategy, connecting with Potential customers on social media can help your brand remain top of mind when a user is ready to make a purchase. And it can replace outdated relationship building and sales strategies like cold calling. Eh, cold calling is never going to go away, dude. While all social media sites have someone trying to sell you goods and services, specific social media sites have embraced the social selling model <clears throat> excuse me, and made it a native experience. Facebook so far has had the best attempt at this, offering up Facebook Marketplace as a way for informal traders to post product posts and classified ads. While Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest have methods of connecting your e-commerce website to your profile for enriched product tagging. But there's a hidden cost of social selling. The modern social media ecosystem is only beginning to embrace e-commerce and social selling. As more people purchase from or inside social media, this behavior becomes normalized, but at what costs? Social media sites have created a global marketplace for attention, but it is challenging to crack as a seller. With several intermediaries ready to nibble at your margins, as a seller on Instagram, Facebook, or Instagram, they said it twice, I can try posting on my organic feed. Still, since I have no control over my followers, seeing it in their feed, chances are very, are very few that, that very few will see it and even fewer will convert to actual purchasing. I would need a social media budget to promote my product or collaborate with an influencer to try and get more eyeballs on my product. Then I would need a payment processor to handle the credit card debit card and any other payment method than cash on delivery or a bank deposit. The payment processor then holds the funds and takes their fees. These costs are unavoidable and need to be baked into the product's pricing so that you pass it on to the customer because you just can't afford to eat the losses as a business. Your selling online also keeps users on social media sites longer. You generate revenue through the ads that you spend, and you create a wealth of data points for social media sites to mine on what products convert, what users convert, and the type of products that they are willing to engage with. This close, closed funnel data is very valuable, and you're not getting compensated for the data that you're creating for these sites. In fact, they are charging you inside the ad model to pay for access to the data points that you created. While we can complain about the state of social selling today, if it's the only game in town, we can only do something about it once a competitor comes along. What if you could have your social selling set up at a payment processor that you host yourself? What if you had a social media platform where you always had access to all of your followers? 
Wouldn't that make for a robust platform that illuminates cost and makes things cheaper for the consumer? Marketplace clients could be that option. What are marketplace clients? Noster Marketplaces is a new NIP or NIP merged into the protocol allowing for e-commerce enabled events like a like or me sending a note you know, me posting like something like Comfrey on Nostra Marketplaces, that's an event. They're all events. As Nostra is a protocol, all it does is relay data and that data can be marked up in different ways. Your standard event you would regularly use for short form content or the long form content like NIP23, those events are examples. NIP15 is an event that holds additional data and text fields such as price, merchant, product ID, quality, image, and product description. All these elements needed to generate an e-commerce product detail page. Any client that is NIP15 compatible can read these events from relays and display these e-commerce posts in a method of their choosing. Marketplace software is entirely client-side and can be run either as a standalone app, a front-end web page, or be part of a more prominent client that lists multiple retailers. A stall has a key pair that it uses to register itself to index and sign invoices. That key pair isn't related to any Lightning Network key pair, it's independent. Customers subscribe to different merchant Noster public keys, and those merchant stalls and products become listed and searchable. The marketplace client is like any other e-commerce site with a basket and checkout. Users can enjoy the traditional e-commerce payment flow and settle their bill in Bitcoin on the Lightning Network since this NIP was based on the Diagon Alley LN Bits extension. Marketplace stall owners may include a customer support area to communicate directly with merchants through Noster NIP04 direct messaging service. What is Diagon Alley? Diagon Alley is a decentralized market stall protocol that shifts the emphasis from the front end market to the merchant's stall. If the front end market, you know, the indexer, gets taken down, merchants just point their stalls elsewhere. Users can create e-commerce product pages and sell them directly on a website or social media site with all the payment handled on the Lightning Network and hosted by your own node. Note, if you're looking for a detailed tutorial on how to set up a Nostra Marketplace, check out the guide below called Start Your Nostra Market with LN Bits. Marketplaces in different spaces. Now you're probably asking, what's the big deal? If Facebook and all the other social media sites already have these services available and have a more extensive network effect, why would anyone bother with Nostra's e-commerce and social selling? Well, you're right. Most people trust traditional social media and will continue to use it every day. And while these sites have that going for them, there are some clear limitations. When you set up e-commerce enabled posts on social media, you need to set up data feeds from your website, have these CSV files updated or have a third party or first party API connection with each platform and then feed in your data and check that each platform understands that feed in Noster. Since an e-commerce post is an established event, it's up to the clients to enable reading these events. You can create your e-commerce product post on your public key and promote them on your site or on your account while other clients will have to decide how to display them. 
An example would be a client could have a tab for products and showcase your feed there. Other clients could allow you to embed your product's note ID into posts so that when you mention a product, you can tag it and drive users from discussions into e-commerce funnels. Users and influencers could also tag third-party product listings in their posts as long as they know the ID. If clients make products searchable by name and vendor, it will make it very easy to tag products when making posts and opening up affiliate programs. Since Noster is lightning native, it also embraces B-commerce or Bitcoin e-commerce to settle payments. While products can be priced in Satoshis or fiat currency, the settlement will remain on lightning, ensuring that payment is instant and costs are kept low on payment processing, which can be passed on to customers via discounts or lower prices. You can now sell to a global audience the audience can even see products in their native currency and settle via Bitcoin. So if you do ship internationally or sell digital products, you now open up cheaper payment processing worldwide. One concern I've seen with Nostra is how clients will monetize and generate regular income and Nostra marketplaces could be the answer to a viable revenue stream. If I'm a brand or business looking to reach users after I've listed all my products, I could look to the wider Noster ecosystem for advertising inventory. I could pay clients to showcase my products on the, on the mention of specific hashtags or keywords. I could purchase spots and client feeds for every fifth placement to show my product listing to a particular audience. I could purchase banner space on the home page of a client, I could buy dynamic ad spots on mobile iOS and Android clients. Clients could have a product feed uh, section with promoted spots. If you want to try out Noster or learn more about it, we recommend checking out the following resources to kick your research. GitHub NIP15, GitHub Noster Markets, and start your Noster market with LN Bits. And these are all links. And of course, this entire thing is going, uh, the link to this entire piece will be in the show notes. So go look for it and you'll, you'll find it and you'll scroll down to the end and you'll get all these links. So the final question is, are you on Noster? If you are a Noster user and want to hang out and chat with us or follow our content, on your preferred Nostra front end, feel free to add us using our pub key below and send us a zap if you've got the sats to spare and then they give their pub key. If you have used Nostra, which clients do you prefer and why? Are there any clients that you think deserve mention? Let us know in the comment section below. Okay, are there any comments? I don't think, oh, I can't, I'm not logged into this particular website, which is thebitcoinmanual.com. But yeah, Nostra Marketplaces, it's not a, it's not a platform, it's a protocol. You should know the difference between the two right now, all right? If you don't, a platform is something I can control. If it's my platform, I control it and you're my user and I get to tell you what you see, what you hear, what you do, who you can interact with. I get to tell you all that. If it's a protocol, I can build a platform on top of it, but I can't shut you out of the protocol. I can shut you off of my platform, but I cannot shut you out of the protocol. This, the whole NIP15 slash Diagon Alley slash LN Bits Marketplace slash Noster Marketplace, it's a protocol and nobody 
can kick you off of it. Will people sell drugs on this? Yes, they will. Will they sell guns? Yes, they will. Will they sell ammunition? Yes, they will. Will they sell gold, silver, platinum? Yes, they will. Will they sell cleaning products? Absolutely, they will. Will they sell maple syrup? Maybe. I'm working on bees, nerds. I really am. But this is, it's brand new. Like everything else in this space, everything's brand new. Probably not ready for prime time, but someone's got to be the first, right? So get in there, figure out Noster marketplaces in general, and more extensively, the Diagon Alley situation, NIP 15 or NIP 15 is what enables pretty much all of this. What can you do? What can you do? And if you do something and you make a lot of money, consider donating to Bitcoin projects worldwide, like the Human Rights Foundation, who has just granted $455,000 to Bitcoin projects worldwide. And BTC Casey out of Bitcoin Magazine tells us more. The Human Rights Foundation has granted $455,000 to a dozen projects worldwide through its Bitcoin Development Fund. The grants focus on improving Bitcoin scaling, privacy, decentralization, global education, censorship-resistant communication, and community-building efforts with areas of focus including Africa and Asia. The HRF has allocated more than $2.7 million in BTC and USD since early 2020 to over 80 developers, educators, and open-source initiatives worldwide, according to a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine. One grant recipient is Meron Estafanos, who will use $50,000 to create Bitcoin Innovation Hub Uganda. The hub aims to equip local youth with practical skills to become sovereign individuals and will host local meetups to serve as a Bitcoin awareness and learning center. Ugandans face difficulty receiving remittances due to high fees and obstacles in obtaining identification cards, the press release states. Calvin Kim has received $100,000 to research and implement a peer-to-peer protocol for U-Tree-XO block transaction messages to prepare U-Tree-XO for a mainnet launch. U-Tree-XO is a Bitcoin scaling solution for faster verification and synchronization of Bitcoin full nodes. The grant will support Kim's work on improving Bitcoin scaling. Another recipient is Kali for Cashew. And I read you Callie's stance on what Luke Dash Jr. was do, was saying about ordinals at the beginning of the show. This is the same Callie, C-A-L-L-E. Another recipient is Callie for Cashew, which has received $50,000 for the development of a free and open source protocol that enables Chami and eCash on top of Bitcoin. The Cashew protocol conceals users' balances and transaction histories offering near-perfect privacy for users of custodial Bitcoin wallets. OXB10C has received $50,000 for their work on Bitcoin Core trace points, P2P monitoring, fork observer, mining pool observer, and Bitcoin data. In addition, RootZoll received $50,000 for Raspi Blitz, a do-it-yourself lightning node that can be run on a Raspberry Pi. 25K went to Bob Space BKK for their Thailand residency program, while World Liberty Congress received 25K for the Freedom Academy. 25K also went to Hampus Schausberg for Blixit Wallet, a non-custodial open source Bitcoin and Lightning wallet, and $10,000 will go to Nowu for Bitcoin Senegal, a group that hosts meetups, creates educational content, and onboards local merchants to Bitcoin. 
Charlene Federipo got 10000 for the Bitcoin in Africa show, providing education, insights, and thoughtful conversations to deepen the understanding of Bitcoin across the African continent, the press release described. And finally, 10000 will go to Lorraine Marcel for Bitcoin DADA, that Bitcoin data, a women-centric organization with contributors based in Kenya and beyond that educates African women in the Bitcoin space. HRF's Bitcoin Development Fund aims to accelerate the development of privacy-preserving technologies for Bitcoin users and support infrastructure improvements to make Bitcoin more accessible worldwide. The next round of gifts will be announced in August of 2023. Wow, that's shit. That's not all that far away, guys. So HRF, you know, a lot, some people love HRF. Some people think it's BS. Lots of people are in the middle on it. I really don't know. I, I, I don't follow HRF as much as I should because, you know, limited bandwidth and all that. But here's a, speaking of Africa, there's a lot of those grants going to people in Africa. Um, Africa is back in the news, but I'm not sure if this is a, in a good way, like at all. I am highly skeptical of the following. This is from No Bullshit Bitcoin or NoBSBitcoin.com. That's NoBSBitcoin.com. Go there because it's fast becoming one of my favorite sites to go to to pick up news. Paxful Marketplace comes back online under leadership by a custodian. After one month away, we're happy to announce that the Paxful Marketplace is back online. In early April, we faced a difficult decision to temporarily suspend the marketplace to protect all of our customers and Paxful's future. We know it has been a difficult time for many of our users who were understandably surprised by the sudden suspension. However, we are delighted to be back so that we can continue to serve millions of people without financial access. However, the announcement did not provide any details on the firm's current leadership or the ongoing lawsuit that led to the suspension of Paxful's operations. Paxful is presently under the ownership of a custodian who acts as a director alongside Arthur Shabak and Ray Youssef. Quote, right now, we need the custodian because he's a tiebreaker. Otherwise, we're in a deadlock. Co-founder Arthur, or Arthur, I can't pronounce his name, Artur, I guess, A-R-T-U-R, Shabak said per btctimes.com. Now, here it comes, and listen close. Paxful's former CEO, Ray Youssef, clarified that he does not vouch in any way for anything that is happening there right now, as he has resigned from the platform and company and is currently developing CivKit, a peer-to-peer -peer marketplace network for censorship, resistance, and permissionless trading, right? Now, here's Ray Youssef's actual tweet. Ray Youssef, which is at Ray Paxful, says, If you have not heard, I resigned as the CEO of Paxful weeks ago. I do not vouch in any way for anything that is happening there now, I will update everyone soon about the trust I have set up to make any frozen funds whole. In the meantime, trust no one. Trust no one. Just because Paxful is making these statements doesn't mean we know Dick. Now, here's the big thing about Ray Paxful and his 
co-founder of Paxful, well, Ray Youssef and his co-founder of Paxful, Artur Shabak, they're not friends anymore. <laughs> and Ray has some really horrific stories about this co-founder. Um, I've read stuff that Ray, I've known about Ray. I don't know him. I've never met Ray. I've never spoken with him. No DMs. He maybe replied to one of my tweets when I was on Twitter, and I certainly replied to several of his, but that's it. So that's the limit of my knowledge of, of Ray Youssef. But from what I've read about him over the years, and it has been years, I trust Ray a hell of a lot more than this Artur guy. Okay? So when Artur says that a, an intermediary is necessary, I think think some chicanery is going on. Can I prove it? No, it's just a gut feeling. And with Ray out there saying, trust no one, I would listen to Ray Youssef. I would listen to him very carefully. I would be very mindful of any business dealings that I would have with Paxful as they quote unquote reopen. Okay. So just, I'm just putting that out there. Be careful people. Be careful. Ernst & Young launches Ethereum-based carbon emission tracking platform. Yes, we're going to be talking about shitcoin numero uno, but there's a point. Hopefully, Ian Allison will make that point for me. If uh, he does not from Coindesk, then I will make it myself, but let's, let's read first. Ernst & Young, or EY, the professional services giant, has started an Ethereum-based platform for enterprises to track their carbon emissions and carbon credit traceability. The EY Ops Chain, ESG, made the announcement at the firm's Global Blockchain Summit in London. The platform is now available in beta version on the EY, what is that? Blockchain Sauce Platform, Sale, or, was it? S-A-A-S, something as a service, and I can't remember what the first S is, whatever, I don't care. The system uses carbon emission tokens. That's the point. Developed by Standards Body, the Microsoft Back Interwork Alliance, part of the Global Blockchain Business Council, of which Ernst & Young is also a member. Over the past few years, enterprises have look to blockchain technology to track and trace elements of their workflows from trade finance to food products. Keeping tabs on carbon emissions and credits has been a focus for many in the environmental and social governance arena. And Ernst & Young has been a longtime advocate for using the public Ethereum blockchain to achieve this goal. Ernst & Young's ESG chain is based on the conviction that blockchains are the glue that can link business processes and global ecosystems across enterprise boundaries, said Ernst & Young global blockchain leader Paul Brody. Can I be a global blockchain leader, ladies and gentlemen? I want that C-suite seat. Whatever. Quote, detailed traceability allows for tracking of emissions inventory through tokenization, including the ability to link carbon output to specific product output, Brody said in a statement, quote, by using carbon credit tokens, either created or sourced on the market, enterprises can now have visibility into their actions toward decarbonization. Okay. So just... How many, what's the, what's the metric tonnage of bullshit here? 100 
thousand million metric tons of absolute garbage has just been passed into your ears. Mea culpa, mea culpa, mea culpa, because it is my fault that I did that to you. But there's a point that I'm trying to make. EY is the is just presenting us with the notion that this whole anything on the blockchain is that whole theme, that whole genre. And we've been saddled with it since after the collapse of Bitcoin price in 2017, starting, I want to say around 2018, 2019, it really came to fruition where bananas on the blockchain uh, we're going to put your gold mining on the blockchain. We're going to track your, I don't know, fuel usage on the blockchain. It's all bullshit. Why? Because if there is a physical good or a physical thing that exists in three-dimensional space at this time, then I am depending on somebody to transcribe the information of what that thing is into a credible transaction that then and only then is transcribed or translated to the blockchain, a blockchain, any blockchain, it doesn't matter what it is. First, Ethereum is not immutable, right? So that that's right out. And the fact that EY can't see that leads me to believe that whoever this global blockchain, what is that? What's the name of that thing? Uh, what was his title? Uh, hold on, let me see if I can find it again. Global Blockchain Leader. That's his title, Paul Brody. The fact that he and his team and the entirety of Ernst & Young cannot understand what happened when Ethereum moved to proof of stake leads me to believe that they're not equipped whatsoever to have any leadership of any blockchain or blockchain space or blockchain market or whatever because they don't understand the fundamentals of mining when they abandoned mining and went over to proof of stake, the fundamentals of mining that make sure shit's actually immutable and it never really even was immutable, hence the DAO. If you look at the DAO hack, just if you don't know what that is, D-A-O hack Ethereum, put that in any particular search browser or search uh, bar and you will find what I'm talking about. It wasn't immutable then and it sure as shit is not immutable now. How do you trust that the amount of carbon emissions by any product manufacturing process was actually transcribed correctly and then is going to be guaranteed to be immutable? No, it's all bullshit. See, that's it. There, what, what I was saying earlier about as long as there is space available for bad actors to occupy and make a living from then bad actors will be in that space, whether it's blockchain, whether it's internet, whether it's telecommunications, whether it's football teams or baseball teams or basketball teams, it doesn't fucking matter. They're going to inhabit that space for as long as they're allowed to make money from it. If there's no incentive to occupy that space, they will vacate it themselves. How many roaches do you actually see where there is no food? The answer is none. Why are cockroaches crawling around your kitchen? Because they're scraps of food. They could be as small as a 
as a grain of sugar. But the whole fact that they're there means that they're making a living from being there. Same thing with the apes and the ordinals and inscriptions and the bro C20 tokens and all that bullshit, right? It's the same thing. The cockroaches will inhabit any space that not only has space for them, but provides them a way of life, a meaning of the way to get food, the way to get resources for them to breed. You disincentivize that in a kitchen by basically scrubbing, you know, and you really can't in a kitchen because there's always food present, but you get my drift. If there was a way to make sure like you could shut down all the doors of your kitchen and have a robot go in there and scrub every molecule of organic material that it can find at the end of every day, guess what you're not going to have? Cockroaches, because there's nothing for them to feed on. I mean, this kind of goes back to the whole Luke Dash Jr. thing. I get where he's coming from. He's not trying to be a bad actor, I guarantee it. But he's making the same mistake that Roger Ver made when it was in 2017 and oh my God, I'm just going to fork it and do something different because I don't agree with this. This hurts my sensibilities. I don't wanna see this. I don't wanna hear that. See no evil, speak no evil, hear no evil, that kind of shit. And that's not what Bitcoin is for. The problem with Bitcoin is what? It provides space for cockroaches to breed. It always has. Even before ordinals, Bitcoin was the reason Ethereum, the mother asshole from which all shit coinery occurs, was created. And Litecoin and Dogecoin and all of the other shit coins, all of those are spaces for the cockroaches to be able to breed. And as long as they're there, so will the cockroaches be there. There's, I can say we need to disincentivize this and that until I'm blue in the face. And guess what's not going to be disincentivized? The very thing that allows the cockroaches to be incentivized to inhabit. You can't get rid of them. You have to live with them. Even if you can't see them, you have to live with them because they're there. You need to turn on a light switch in the kitchen and all of a sudden there's five cockroaches on the floor and you never, you never see cockroaches in the daylight, but all, you know, all of a sudden you, you catch them and now they scurry wherever they scurry and now they're out of sight again. And, but that doesn't mean that they're not there. They're always there. They always will be there. There will always be shit coins. There will always be ordinals. There will always be inscriptions. There will always be BRC20. There will always be NFTs. There will always be monkey pics. There will always be rocks. And there will always be some moron who's willing to incentivize a bad actor by trading them value for what they think is value, a perceived value. You're not going to get rid of that. Why? Because it's human nature. If you cannot learn to live with it and understand, I don't know, come up with your own ideas on disincentivization or better yet, stop worrying about it altogether and don't engage with it. That's your best course of action. That keeps, your, that keeps you sane. It keeps you not mad because being mad and being negative all the time is, is no way to live. Ask me how I know. 
because it's I've I've been there, been too pissed off for too long. It's not a good way to live. It's just not. So disengage with it. Let it do whatever it's going to do. The thing about nature and ecosystems is that they have a tendency to solve their own problems. It's when we continuously think that we're going to go in and fix this thing that is so much larger than we actually are, and we're either too dense to understand that what we're trying to fix is larger than we are, or we just don't care. But we've done it with forest fire suppression. Oh my God, the forest is burning. We can't let it burn. So we don't let them burn. And then what happens? Fuel builds up. And then a lightning bolt happens. And you can't stop either one of those. And then you get a real forest fire that burns so hot, it kills all the trees. Generally speaking, when a forest fire happens, or used to happen before we got our little mitts on it, is that the understory would burn out. The trees, if they were big enough, didn't care. Just didn't care. Some of them actually need the fire to be able to propagate. You know, moral mushrooms will sprout every single time after a rain, after a forest fire. In, in, if they're in, like in North America, moral mushrooms, 45 bucks a pound for moral mushrooms. Why? Because there's the chemistry involved in burning the underbrush that gets into the soil when it's not too hot and it initiates the fruiting bodies of the moral mushroom mycelium that is already in the soil. But no, here comes humans. We think we know better. Here comes Luke Dash Jr. Thinks he knows better. There comes Roger Ver. Thinks he knows better. And what? Tries to control something that they can't control because of, of a perceived flaw. But the very flaw that these guys are perceiving is the very strength that drew them into the shelling point in the first place. It's hubris. It's ego and it will be the death of everybody that does that around bitcoin please don't do that that's going to do it for the morning roundup which is now the afternoon but hey what are you gonna do dad says jokes i ran out of food and I had to steal from the next door neighbor's herb garden. I'm living on borrowed time. Yeah, that's probably why I'm falling in the charts. And I am falling in the charts. I am now number five in the top 10, which is actually still pretty good when you think about it. I'm not actually all that, that worked up about it. But I do want to let you know that I am going to try to monetize the show because I need to change something. I got to. Otherwise, why do anything if you're not actually going to try to do something different or grow and expand? And honestly, other people do it. I think that I can do it in a way that won't be quite as annoying. And one of the ways that I want to do that is, again, I reiterate, plebs selling their goods and services, not giant companies, plebs, right? like Maple Trade. I asked uh, Shishi earlier today, 
or late last night, I can't remember which, whatever, it doesn't matter, uh, about the possibility of maybe me and him working out a deal because it seemed to work for Maple Trade. He was able to, I think I sold five baskets. I think, I don't know. I asked him to calculate that for me so that I'd be able to pull together metrics and say, look, it works. I, you, you advertise with me and you know I can get you some sales. And we had that whole marketplace thing, that Nostra marketplace read that I did. And as I was going through it, you know, it's touching all these tender points because I want to, I want to start doing this. And the tender points that I mean is like, oh, well, you're just shilling for this and shilling for that. And, you know, you're monetizing. So therefore you're, you're a trader to the race. And that's, I don't think that that's it at all. Nobody does anything for free, I guess, unless I just want to be a, you know, homeless and live under a bridge shit. I mean, I can do that shit for free, but at one point or another, you got to shit or get off the pot, right? And there's no better way that I can think about changing this in a way for the better than trying to do this, this advertising model in a way that supports a Bitcoin circular economy and supports regular folk who don't, maybe they don't want to go to their job. They go, they, or they don't like their particular job and they would rather make maple syrup or help their sister make soap or like she, she plants. And like me, one of the things that I would love to do, I got really good at cloning stuff like goji berry plants, comfrey, uh, black locusts, you name it, man. I was, I was literally on a mission to print as many plants as I could because I didn't want to go spend $7 and 50 cents, if not upwards to 25 bucks for like a three-year-old tree. And some of those things were like 50 bucks. If I can figure out a way to propagate all these things, then not only would I have them for free and wouldn't have to spend money on it. It'd be like printing money. But if I had excess, if I made more than I knew that I was going to need, maybe somebody else would buy them from me. Well, I'm not in a position to do that because I am renting a house right now. I don't have a yard. But people like Shishi, they do, and they can propagate, and they know how to do some, you know, some of these things. Well, why not help them bring their product to you. Maybe you need it. So I promise that I will do my best to not shill crap just because somebody's going to pay me for it or give me a cut of the proceeds or whatever deal, whatever deal gets worked out there, buddy. It, try to make it interesting. Maybe make an advertisement that's educational. I don't know. There's fucking millions of ways to go about doing this that isn't boring that is effective for the person actually selling the product and gives you something that's not only attention to a product you may actually want, but maybe that product might teach you something and then I can help facilitate that. I swear that I will actually do work trying to figure out how to make an advertising model that won't bore you, won't make you want to skip over shit and present you with high quality products that enhance the lives of your fellow Bitcoiners with whom you share a shelling point.
because we all share the same shelling point. That's Bitcoin. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.